Finding moments of kindness during chaotic or frustrating circumstances can be hard. So you are allowed to take moments to rest, to breathe, and to give yourself permission to feel the emotions you stuff deep within you so you can move past them and grow into your true calling. I'm Dr. Jessica Metcalf, and this is Speak Kindly, You're Listening. Don't forget to check out the book with the same name that inspired it all out on Amazon and is now a bestseller. Thanks to you. With me today is Joanne Doherty. She's a mental health trainer and consultant working across the UK and internationally delivering accredited mental health qualifications. She also sits on the Scottish Parliament cross-party group for mental health and teaches psychology at the University of Glasgow. On today's episode, Joanne shares her story of grief and rising from childhood trauma to helping children in need. We'll navigate her healing journey, how it's ongoing and never ending, and we'll talk about self-reflection that gets you out of being stuck. Joanne, I am so excited to have you on Speak Kindly. You're listening. It is really near and dear to my heart, some of the story that I've already read up about, and I'm really excited to dive into that today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. I hope that you can make out my accent okay, yeah? It's not going to be... Totally fine. Don't even don't even worry about that. Um, I love it. We got to have a little bit of everything, right? Because yeah. especially so my background, having gone to dental school in Boston and then growing up in Canada and on the East Coast of Canada or in Ontario, and then now moving out to the West Coast, you get a little bit of everything and experiences from it. And this is what I appreciate about the podcast and social media and the virtual world is that we get to cross-pollinate across different oceans and kilometers. And that gives us the opportunity to be able yeah. to learn from each other. So yeah, I love that. Cross-pollinate. I love that. I'm going to cross. That. Yeah. <laughs> Take it and use it. I love it. So I want to just jump right into things. And something that I had started to read up on was a bit about your childhood trauma. And we're just going to dive deep right in from the get-go because I don't think people realize how that inner gremlin voice starts and how we may not notice that inner voice until later in adulthood, but how we take pieces of that from our childhood into adulthood. So I'd love to hear a bit about your story and then your thoughts around it. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for asking me that. I, yeah, I had a really adverse childhood. I was born, the way I describe it is I was born into chaos. It was very chaotic. My mother was schizophrenic, um, very severely schizophrenic. She wasn't, wasn't stable. She was often in psychiatric wards. I was a big surprise. So even that, you know, the fact that she got pregnant, uh, she, it was a huge surprise to the family. So she just wasn't able to take care of me. And I was um, put into the care of my grandmother, who I will call my nan, who is still my role model. She is my inspiration. She's always still there in the back of my mind. So my nan was my main petter. And despite her giving me absolutely everything, she was she was solid. She had a tough life too. So we were living in poverty, living in a really rough area of Glasgow. and. You know, it, it was difficult. Basic needs not being met. I can remember being hungry sometimes. I can remember being cold. My nan had nine children of her own, 
and living in a rough area. There was violence, drugs. My uncle had a heroin addiction. Alcohol, gang culture round about us was bad at the time. It was Glasgow in the 80s. There was a lot of uh, violence, knives, gang culture. So it was really, really chaotic. It was really difficult. But despite that, I had my nan who gave me that attachment, that security that I needed. And um, I had my nan up until I was 10. And unfortunately, uh, she died when I was 10 and I found her. It was me that found her. And that, you talk about processing it, that's something I probably didn't process until a bit later. I found her cold. And only probably in the last five years, I've realized why I hate cold so much. And I can, I, I moved abroad. I lived in Abu Dhabi for 12 years because I needed the heat. And I can really link that back to that sensory experience of, yeah, I found my nan and she felt cold and I was just a child and, and also being cold in the house sometimes. So you, you mentioned we can only often process that when we're, we're older. And I think people who've been through trauma are constantly processing, constantly finding new things, realizing, having new realizations. So yeah, when she died, I went into the care of another place and this is part of my story I don't share I, I don't feel able to share I wasn't very happy I was very very unhappy there I'd lost my security my figure my I, I was taken away as well from my area in Glasgow and, and moved to a very rural different place I've been a city girl I used to go to the library every week I had my friend's clothes I had the play park everything was close and was moved to a very rural area on a farm with nothing and that was even that environmental change is such a big transition for a child and I and I found that very difficult so yeah really really difficult experience I guess that when when I lost Nan before I went into that care situation I had a wonderful teacher who really wrapped me up in cotton wool I don't remember any of the activities we ever did but I remember how she made me feel and I just wanted to be like her and from that moment, really. I was going to be a teacher and I was going to be just as kind as Mrs. Marshall was to children. I, was, I wanted to work with children who had experienced difficulties like I had. So that was the kind of start of my journey. Mrs. Marshall was a big figure. My, uh, my nan, always in the back of my mind, really instilled a love of learning and took me to the library, took me to the museums every week. She really fostered that from a very young age. She, she gave me that foundation. So that's my story in a bit of a nutshell. That is so challenging at such a young age because trying to piece the world together and learning and having those individuals in your life to offer some stability and then having it taken away at such a young age while you're still learning and growing and being displaced from the environment. And having those key people in our life. So if you think back to your nan and that security aspect that she gave you, are there comments or thoughts or statements that you can still hear her say that offer you that support and almost have then created that inner cheerleader inside of you? Yeah, gosh, there's so many. She told me I have really, really vivid, clear memories of being close to Glasgow University. There's a, a park close to Glasgow University. It's this real 
it, it's sometimes called Harry Potter, kind of that kind of looking yeah. university. And we were playing, and I used to read Mallory Towers. You know Mallory Towers, Enid Blyton books. No, Enid okay. Blyton books. I used to read them from a very young age, and it was a real middle class, upper class boarding school kind of place. But I was this girl living in poverty, reading these books, wishing I was there. And I thought when I saw Glasgow University, it was from my book. And I, I said to my nan, it's, I want to go to Mallory Towers, it's Mallory Towers. And I remember her copying my face and she told me that it wasn't Mallory Towers, it was Glasgow University and you're going to go there one day because you, you're so clever. And it's something I hear myself saying to my daughter now. And she was, she was copying my face, telling me I would go there because I was so clever. I actually teach at Glasgow University now. And I did go there. I, I made sure I was going to go there because my nan told me I was going to go there. It was written inside me. So that certainly that learning. Another thing that when, when you asked that question, the first thing that came up for me is warmth. I mentioned the cold, but she gave me warmth. And I, when I, te- I teach uh, teachers and childcare practitioners, you want that warmth. When people are working with children, they need to feel that warmth. And that's something that my nan gave me. And I think that warmth buffered me from a, from a lot. And, and it's something I want to do when I work with people as well. I want them to feel warm. I want them to feel lit up. I want them to feel comfortable, secure around me. And there are two things that sort of jumped out at me. Certainly, you're so clever. And, and that's always been a motivation. I'm not saying I'm so clever. I'm not saying I'm so intelligent. <laughs> But it's it, it's been a, it's been a driving force yeah. in my want to learn, my thirst to learn, I, and probably Nan gave me that confidence. Yes, I can do. I can yeah. be clever. I can do what I want to do. So hold up. So you you are definitely yeah. clever. Let let me let me just <laughs> yeah yeah. That's that like I, I don't mean that. Yeah, that is that yeah. like that inner gremlin that comes in. That's just like no no. I'm going to keep you humble. Yeah, I can't. Okay. I can't. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Okay. So let's yeah. let's go to that inner gremlin then because yeah. it is so easy for us to see the inner gremlin or the inner critic, however you choose to call it, where it's... And I know for me, I use it as a form of motivation for the longest time. And then I got to a point that I'm using such hurtful and destructive words to try to motivate myself. How is this actually going to give me that warmth and that security? And And so I was creating that cold space for myself, essentially. So looking back and now having heard your story and experiencing that trauma, not just one event, but over a period of years, how do you notice that those experiences played into then your inner gremlin and how that inner gremlin voice followed you into adulthood? You know, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently, and and you'll understand being a business owner, owner and trying to trying to get your name out there. I really struggle with publicity. I really struggle with being seen, being visible. Okay, I'm better at it now, and I don't know if that's that humble, stay in your lane. Who do you think you are? I I don't know. That's always something, still something I I cringe and struggle a little bit about. I don't know if that comes from. Yes, I didn't want to be seen. I often had a way when I, I went into that care placement, I I had, I became a shadow of myself. I was a very outgoing child and I, I lost my voice. I, I kind of stopped speaking, very, very quiet, very withdrawn, very into just reading my books. And I don't know if there's that element that still feeds through, like 
I struggle being the big shiny, look at me, look at me, look at me. And and I don't know if that's potentially that inner gremlin still. You stay quiet, you you stay small. So that's something that I, I'll, I'll continuously have to work on, I think, mm-hmm. if that's related in that way. Yeah. Something that you had mentioned was the aspect of consistently learning about our past experiences, even in adulthood, because we do. I have those glimmers every once in a while. I actually just got back from a walk with my dog before hopping on to do the podcast. And all of a sudden, I just had a flash from childhood where I was like, oh, completely forgot about that. (laughs) And (laughs) it's one of those words just like, okay, depending on the environment that you were raised in or the experiences that you had, we almost create a protective way of keeping our own self safe as we're moving through and having some of those experiences. And so now looking back at where you are and reflecting back, but then also looking forward as well. I think people get confused that healing, there's an end point. And Mm. so with where you are right now and straddling Mm. that sides of knowing well aware that you can self-reflect, but also look forward to the future. Does healing ever end? Is there an end point in time? I don't think so. And and I think if particularly if you are self-aware into your personal development, we're always developing, aren't you? There's never an end point to learning. So like you said, it can be that one trigger, one thing comes up for you that you don't realize. So certainly for me, I can't imagine ever saying I'm healed. Who wants to just ever be healed and that's the end of it? <laughs> it's learning. I think for me, it's it's part of learning. Something I was talking about on my Instagram the other day, despite being so self-aware and if I feel triggers, if I feel something coming up for me, I, I'm very aware and I will get support. I'll get help if I feel in any way something's coming up. I, I know what to do as well myself. Something I can't get a grip on is I, I still have these really horrible nightmares and horrible dreams. And I was just talking about this the other day. So all the healing I might be doing consciously, subconsciously, it's still there in, in some way. So no, healing never finished. And that's something I'm struggling. I was struggling last week. I've been good this week. I, I wasn't sleeping. I was having these nightmares that I'm back in situations I was in when I was a child that were upsetting me. So I think that itself would suggest no healing doesn't finish. And no matter the work, the, the hard work you might put into self-development, self-awareness trauma can stay in the body it can stay in there is that a bad thing is that part of life a question I'm not sure but I'm always learning Uh, and I think having that mindset for people who are on a healing journey or whatever just having that mindset Mm -hmm. there is no end point life is hard like life life is difficult and regardless if it's traumas from the past and that impacts how we choose to speak to ourselves or moving forward there's always going to be something that ends up coming up so when people promote oh live this stress free life and this stuff it to me it just it, i turn into <laughs> i totally throw out my eye roll cuz i'm like life is oh. never stress free and so if we give ourselves the opportunity to process to reflect to Give ourselves those moments in time to sit and be compassionate to ourselves. That then gives us the opportunity to say, okay, I can feel all the feels, but at the same time, I can still do the things that I need to do. And that's totally okay. And at times when we're pushing ourselves 
outside of our comfort zone, which I saw one of your posts and I want to read it because I freaking love that post. (laughs) Your comfort zone will kill you. Will it really? So tell me a little bit about that post because that inner gremlin and that healing journey. And if we don't recognize that life is going to be hard regardless, we can stay in that comfort zone. So tell me a little bit about the your thoughts around that post. Mm. Yeah, I and I love social media, but it's got a lot of, a lot to answer for it. And it feels like everybody from every direction, Facebook, Twitter, whatever is telling you, if you're not in your comfort zone, you're not learning, you're not pushing yourself, you're not growing. And for a while, I think I believed that. But I think for a while I was doing things, putting myself in situations to put myself out of my comfort zone because I thought that was the right thing to do. So I do believe in push pulling, stretching ourselves and challenging ourselves. But I think we need to do it in the right environments with the right support uh, networks around us. I don't believe that I think the phrase I used in the, the post was being dragged out of your comfort zone by your hair because your nervous system will tell you. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it will it will put you into fight or flight or completely freeze you or completely stress you out. Your body will tell you. And and I believe in and the way I see it is having a nice hand holding you moving out of your comfort zone a little bit at a time, see how it feels. It feels okay, move a little bit further. So I think that your comfort zone will kill you. I just don't I don't subscribe to it at all. I, I always think we should, but I just think we should be learning, developing, and trying to grow in any way that we can. But do it sensibly. Don't don't throw yourself off the cliff uh, for the thrills. Go go slow. Go gently. Let's. Uh, that's my belief. I love that because I think at times, and let me know if it differs in the UK, but in North American culture, I feel like at times there's these extremes where it's like, you got to go all in or the hustle and grind and like push yourself like you wouldn't believe. But then there's the opposite where it's just like, no, no. And then you rest entirety. And it's this push and pull and trying to pay attention to what our body is saying and what we need. And I know with Dr. Kristen Neff, when she talks about compassion, she talks about tenderness, compassion, and then fierce compassion. And if you have too much tenderness, compassion, it can keep you complacent. And if there's too much fierce compassion, then you can start to get really angry at yourself. And then that inner gremlin starts to come out. And I think what we've forgotten over the years is that our mind, our head sits on top of our body (laughs) and it's connected. And what I appreciate what you just shared is our body is talking to us on a regular basis and we just have to learn how to listen to it again because we may have gotten to a point in our adulthood where, because I know for me, I did that for a decade, over a decade when I was doing clinical dentistry six, seven days a week where I was pushing. At one point I was on an antacid, so a proton pump inhibitor. I had to go get my stomach biopsied. And then I remember talking to one of the ENT surgeons when I was on residency. He's like, oh, it's okay. Just have your physician up your dosage of your PPI and just keep doing it. Everyone's on a PPI now. And I'm like, Okay. And to me, that was just the norm. And now looking back, I'm like, I'm off of my PPI. I pay attention to what I end up eating and putting into my body. And that makes a difference because my body was screaming at me and yet I just pushed through. Yeah. I talk about this on my courses a lot. I don't know what we're doing as a society that people are so used to working through high stress and 
oh, that little thing will go away, that little thing in my stomach will go away, this headache that I've had, it keeps coming back. Why does it keep coming back? Stop, listen, speak kindly. Your body's listening to you. <laughs> let's let's pay attention. Totally agree. And I've had it as well from it for, for a period of my life, worked through and working in that stress became normal. It just became part of it. I didn't eat well, didn't look after myself. I worked through lunches and stuff that I just won't do anymore because I can't thrive if I'm not looking after and listening to my body. So yeah, totally relate to that as well. So we get to start listening to our body is one of the things that we get to start. So when we start to listen to that inner gremlin saying, push through, because usually it's that inner gremlin saying that, we get to give ourselves a bit of compassion and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to start to listen to what my body is trying to say, which brings me right into an article that you had written saying, what happens in your brain when you have a big emotion? And I think at times for the high achiever, your inner gremlin can come through and when we deem a negative emotion, so maybe anger, frustration, sadness, and we think that, oh, we should just suck it up and get over it. Talk to me about the article. Talk to me about those big emotions that we shouldn't actually be suppressing. You know, this is really interesting. It keeps coming up recently in, in conversations I've been having with people. Do you know, this starts in the earliest years where we teach children don't cry. Don't cry, darling. Don't, put, don't cry. Put those tears away. Or we teach children that they're expressing that anger. Because in that moment, they're really angry. Someone snatched their toy. That we tell them crying. Or, you know, having a little episode of dysregulation. And a temper tantrum is a bad thing for them to do. They start to shut it down. I think this happens in the earliest years. We need real understanding about processing. It's okay to feel those big feels. And again, that's something I've had to learn as I got older. I shut things down and yeah, worked through it. Anger is an emotion I could not process for a long time. If I felt angry, I thought it was really bad. It was a real, and I was a bad person for feeling angry. I should be zen and calm all the time. Actually, it, it's it's normal. It's healthy to have anger. It's how we deal with it. And I guess there's a lot of the work I do with children, teaching children from the earliest years and supporting them through having those big emotions, um, that it's okay, accepting them, having children accept them and realise they're not alone and they're not bad, they're not negative, they're normal. I think that would go a long way in adults being able to process them as well and not shut them down, run from them. So, so many things we do, don't we? Like, what is it? Eat your feels, drink your feels, have a glass of wine. No, don't have a glass of wine. Sit and cry it out. As you know, I, I was grieving my cat recently and I, I was really upset. And you know what? I just let it out. I didn't overwork. I didn't throw myself into work. I didn't go out. I didn't distract. I sat with it. I was actually speaking to my own grief. Because that's a healthy way to process it. Once upon a time, I've probably gone out drinking for the weekend and, and trying to pretend. But really allowing them to happen. Talking, I think talking to your emotions is a really, for me, is, is a big thing just talking into thin air but talking to them and allowing it to happen and feeling it in your body again coming back to your body feeling it in your body what's it telling you where are you feeling it in your body and connecting with that and, and is there anything that you can do physically for your body to, to like you know if it's anger yeah I need to walk I need to get it out run will help get it moving if it's sadness I, I will need warmth or you know I, I will often get a hot water bottle or whatever so yeah, I don't know if I've gone off track there from what you asked <laughs> no, me, but I, I, 
I think I think this really starts in early years, and and I do a lot of work with like nursery staff and and teaching them that we shouldn't shut down young children's emotions. We 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 support them to process them and not not have them feel that they're not not normal, that they're unhealthy. We 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 support them through them. And the yeah. more we do that, we more we, we co-regulate with them and support them. Then when they come up then for themselves, they can they can deal better with them. I love that you just expressed that emotions are normal because I think we need to hear it on a regular basis at times, especially if we haven't allowed ourselves to regulate our emotions. And I completely agree with you. Anger for the longest time for with me, I was like, no, I shouldn't feel angry. I should be happy all the time. And that's, first off, that's just unrealistic to begin with. So there are times that we have to feel those emotions. But I also think that we have to give ourselves the opportunity. And thank you for sharing about your grieving process because just last week, okay, so I was in clinic and was working a half day. And then there was a continuing education course that followed into the clinic that I work in. And someone had messaged someone in the group saying that I'm going to be late. My grandmother just passed away. And when this person showed up, you could visibly tell that this person was not doing well. And I remember going up and I said, you can cancel your patient. Like you don't have... And I wasn't even a part of this continuing education course. And I was like, you just cancel your patient, go home. And one of the more senior staff who was part of running it says, well, she has to deliver restorative peace. And in my head, I'm like, and that is wrong with the system. That is absolutely what's wrong. Because the number of times that I was in residency or the, in dental school, and it's this way of saying, well, no, 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 the patient comes first all the time, which means that you have to sacrifice yourself all the time. Now, you don't have to be within medicine to have that experience. You could be within any type of profession, but be in that high achiever mindset and been around direct learning models or other role models who may have said, this is the only way that you have to do that. Oh, someone's passed away. Oh, they're not close enough to you, right? Oh, it's a grandparent or, oh, it's a cat or whatever it is. It doesn't mean... And I know for myself, when my cousin committed suicide... To me, I automatically went back to school. I was an undergrad. I was 20 years old. She was 15. And I jumped right back in thinking that, no, I'll be fine. It's okay. And I shoved my emotions down into like this bottom of this box. And it wasn't until a year later that they all came just rushing out. And I remember the exact moment that it happened. I was in the middle of an exam. And when it did, I felt ashamed because I was like, well, it's too late. It's too far past my cousin's death. It's not professional of me the way that it happened. And I think we need to change this conversation. So thank you for continually sharing that we are allowed to experience anger and sadness. I want you to touch on a little bit about those components because you had said when you're sad, you, you like to feel that warmth. And when you're anger, it might be something else. How does someone tap into those emotions and really ask themselves what they need for that emotion? Mm, I guess that's really, again, feeling in, feeling into your body. I, for me, and this is what we teach young children as well. Where are you feeling it? You know what what you feeling just now? Where in your body do you feel that? 
and and really just taking that time. It may be, you know, turning off all the lights, getting really comfortable, dark, quiet, and and feeling into your body and listening. Your body tells you what it wants. Your body tells you often as well, I will need warm tea. I need warm sugary. That's one way I know I'm getting sick. I'm coming down with something. I crave a hot sugary tea when that's, you know, it's not something I would I would ever really crave. If I'm coming down with sickness, my body craves it. So tap in and listen. And listen, I guess it's not easy for everybody. I'm an intuitive person, are you? I am. Uh, I had to yeah. allow myself to step back into my intuition. So yes, it's uh, possible. Yeah, I, I guess that's big work for people who haven't, but trusting that their body and trying it, trying it. What's it telling you? What's it feeling? Sometimes I will feel things and it's like, I, I need to be at the water. I don't know why I need to be at the water and, and I get and then have a walk along a river or whatever. And, and I get, you know, inspiration or whatever has been stagnant. And I get this renewed energy. Listen to your body. Try tapping into it and feeling and seeing what it's asking you for. That, that's how I work. And for people that, that can't do that, maybe, or it doesn't come up, just be really kind to yourself. So what is it that soothes you? What is it that you like doing? Is it snuggling up and watching a movie with a hot chocolate? Be kind, allow yourself that. Is it phoning in and, and taking a half day and giving yourself that? Try to be kind to yourself and give yourself what you need and don't work through it. If it's And, and that's something I've said as well since becoming a mum. I want to role model that. I don't want her ever doing the things that I did to the detriment of my health and well-being and happiness. Mm-hmm. So I need to model that to her. Yeah. Having that science background, we got to give people the permission to experiment because that high achiever is going to be like, oh, I tried to tap in, but it didn't tell me what I needed. So it's not there. You get to experiment. So run experiments, set your own hypotheses around what that actually looks like for yourself. Who are the people that you want to be around? What are those drinks? What are What is that coziness that allows you to take care of you? Oh, What a great conversation from our emotions, our body, and not just that voice that we hear, but tapping into how our body is connected to our voice and how we can change how we speak to ourselves and how by changing how we speak to ourselves changes then how we react within our body as well. Joanne, thank you so much for taking the time and spending with us. Is there anything that's coming down the pipeline for you that people can look out for? anything coming down nothing major no I'm completing my diploma in counselling and CBT uh, which I guess is coming down the pipeline and I'm really looking forward to weaving that into the courses that I deliver that's given me a real new element and that whole how we approach people that nice way of, of doing things in a gentle way for people who might be experiencing big emotions how better I can support them so apart from that nothing nothing major I'm just cracking on really busy really really grateful um really happy and and thriving and going well but nothing major that i'm gonna say that is definitely major congrats on the (laughs) the the certificate you're clever and that is definitely major so (laughs) thank you thank you if anyone would like to take a look more about what joanne is doing and if you're looking for support from her whether you're in the uk or listening internationally please check out her website and all of her information will be in the show notes thank you again joanne for taking the time and sharing your expertise in this area thank you so much i really enjoyed it it was lovely thank you
I want to take a moment and acknowledge Joanne's vulnerability. For me, sharing my story is what allows others to see beyond my teachings and to see me as a human on a path that is still a path of discovery. Having Joanne share her story gives another perspective, another opportunity for others to relate and gives people permission to navigate their own challenges. Seriously, what an inspiring conversation on navigating self-compassion. Remember, allowing yourself to feel past emotions is a part of the way to find healing, and the healing journey is ongoing and never-ending. Key takeaways from today. Number one, listen to how emotions feel in your body. Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. Emotions for me growing up were all the woo-woo stuff. You sucked it up and moved on. There were no room for tears. And becoming a dentist, there was even less room for those tears. Being a high achiever always meant suck it up, don't cry in front of others and move on. But wait, what happens when you suck it up for so long? Your body finally explodes. Okay, it doesn't actually explode, but it sends a tsunami of sensations at you. For me, that presented as acid reflux, insomnia, depression, anxiety, rage at times, and lots of tears when I was angry. But emotions and how they show up for you isn't woo-woo stuff. It's your body communicating to you. In fact, there have been a number of studies that have done, and one that stands out for me is one out of Finland on body mapping emotions and how they show up for people. And Dr. Bessel van der Kolk wrote the book, The Body Keeps a Score. So yes, listen to how your emotions feel in your body. Stop avoiding them. Number two, practice self-reflection while keeping an eye on the future. It's important to look back and learn from your experiences, but also to envision the life you want to create to then take the necessary steps to achieve it. There have been moments in my life when I sit in reflection and think that I royally fucked up. I take all those checkpoints and create this path and I think, well, I should have done that totally differently. Then that can turn into a downward spiral of self-loathing instead of self-compassion. But hindsight will always be 2020 for everyone. Of course, you can piece that path together because you've been through it, but you haven't been through the future. So you can't piece those checkpoints together. Set goals, create intentions, and build self-compassion for when the ups and downs come your way. Every episode will have a reflection question and today comes in two parts. How can you tap into and listen to what your body is telling you? Then, how do you use that insight to practice self-compassion and promote healing in your life? When you found your answer, send me a DM on Instagram or an email to info at drjessicametcalf.com. That's info at drjessicametcalfe.com. I have been loving your responses, so please keep them coming. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Speak Kindly, You're Listening. Remember, when you hear your inner gremlin, ask yourself, would I say this to a loved one? And if your answer is no, then it's time for a reframe. Speak kindly. You're listening.